What's up, punks? Welcome back to the Poker Punks Podcast, Episode 6. This one's called One Ticket to Value Town, Please. All the hands I'm going to go over today are hands where it was very unexpected what the opponent was holding, and there was a lot of value either gained or lost by these somewhat sneaky plays that uh, rec players try and pass off as smart plays, which are really bad plays in the long run because all of them are definitely losing value over what they could have had, but they're also exposing themselves to losing massive pots the way that they're playing these hands. Uh, not all of these hands were hands that I was personally involved with. A couple of them were ones that I just observed go down at the table that were just completely off the walls bonkers, so much so that I wanted to include them here as a cautionary tale for you when you're at the table. Now, I know that I preach a lot about pounding on and punishing these limp call players that are rec players at 1-3 and 2-5, and you really need to do that. That will really up your win rate. But the thing you have to be cautious of is when they play back or when they keep tagging along, they're going to have something. So you're not going to be able to bluff these people off of hands very easily, and they're going to probably call down fairly light. So you have to structure your your bluffs correctly, and you have to make sure that you're going for thick value more than you're going for really ultra-thin value. Because if they're calling all the way to the river and they get to a river, there's a chance that they have something unless there's an obvious draw out there that bricked. So anyway, let's get to some hands. Right. In this hand, I am the effective stack at $550. We are in the small blind, and we look down at Ace of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. We get limps from under the gun, under the gun plus one, hijack, and button. When it gets to me, there's no way that I'm not putting in a raise here. Now, earlier in the session, I had pocket jacks in a similar position and had a couple more callers, so I made it $60 to go and everyone folded around, which isn't the worst result, picking up dead money. But this time I decided to go a little bit smaller to try and get one, maybe two callers, so I made it 35 to go. That seemed to be the right number as the session went on, where I would get a mix of one to two callers and fold out the rest of the limpers. And then I could go and try and attack flops, that looked like they didn't hit my opponents or really hit my range well and was able to pick up bigger dead money pots by getting a couple callers as opposed to just obliterating the field and just picking up the limps. So I make it 35 here and I get calls from the big blind, under the gun, and under the gun plus one. The hijack and the button both fold. So there's $146 in this pot when we go to a flop of jack of spades, eight of hearts, four of diamonds. This flop isn't great for my range because the highest card is a jack and there's no real coordination to it, but that shouldn't really hit much in the way of their ranges either. So with the pot being so big, I lead out for $60 here because in my opinion, picking up a $146 pot on the flop without much pushback is a perfectly acceptable um, scenario. So we get the expected folds from the big blind and the under the gun player. 
But then things take a turn for the weird. Under Gun Plus One, who is the epitome of an OMC, who has just been limp calling every raise, folding every flop, and not putting any money in, complaining that I keep getting good cards and missing a flop, or I keep getting pairs that then the board's all over cards. He puts in a min raise to $120. When it's back on me, instead of just immediately folding this hand and moving along, I start to get thoughts in my head of what could he be doing this with and why is he min clicking? First, I'm thinking that maybe he has a hand like pocket jacks, pocket eights, or pocket fours, but those seem very unlikely because when a rec player hits a big hand like that, he is going to slow play it. So with me betting into him, especially for a large sum in terms of actual dollars in the game, not necessarily as much in value of the pot, he's going to want to string me along. So by him min-clicking here, it's almost like a blocker slash protection bet on his part where he's trying to get some calls from weaker hands, but he doesn't want to, you know, get check raised and then have to fold because he's worried about sets and things like that. So I think about raising here, but the only thing that that's going to get me is either a call from a much stronger hand than I was expecting or a fold, which would be perfectly fine. The thing is, the odds of him folding here are almost 0%. Because if he is check raising, or not even check raising, raising my open, he's going to have some sort of thick value here. But with me having two overs and some back doors, I decide to just make the call and see a turn card. So we have $386 in this pot now, and the turn card does not help us at all. It's the five of hearts. I check over to the villain in this hand, and he immediately bets $200. I fold right away and joke with him, oh, what did you have, a set of eights? Finally hit a set. And to my shock, this gentleman turns over the ace of spades and the ace of diamonds. He did not open aces pre-flop under the gun plus one. He did not three bet aces pre-flop to my squeeze from the small blind. And then he decided to just min raise aces on a very non-dynamic, non-coordinated flop. There's a couple straight draws out there, but they're not likely to interact with my squeezing range very often. They could, but he doesn't really know that. He still pegs me as having a strong hand here. He's probably hoping I have a hand like ace-jack, um, maybe even, you know, queen-10, queen-9, 9-10, something like that, where he's going to string me along to get more money out of me. Uh, fortunately for me, the turn did not give me any more equity. I didn't get any bad thoughts about trying to come along and steal this pot away from an OMC because if an OMC is putting money in the pot and even raising a pot, odds are you're going to have to have the stone cold nuts to beat them. And if you don't, just chalk it up to, okay, he has a big hand, go for another one. Because if you're 
attacking flops and attacking preflop and getting two, three, four callers for your $15, $20, $25 raises, you're going to pick up a lot of small pots that aren't really that small. You know, if you get three callers at $25 raise, that's a $75 pot of your opponent's money that if you pick that up on the flop uncontested two, three, four times for every one time you don't, you're going to be printing money. You just have to have the discipline when you have either a fairly strong hand or a really strong hand to be able to bet fold for value when you're up against a very tight player. And if you can't do that, then you have to dial your aggression back to the point where you're not putting yourself in the position to value own yourself. Okay, in this next hand, we are in the small blind and we look down at Ace of Hearts, King of Clubs. We see limps from under the gun plus one, the low jack, and then the cutoff raises to $25. When it gets around to me in the small blind, I decided to just flat call the 25 here. And I had a couple reasons for doing this. One was for a bit of deception if I ended up making a hand. Uh, I'd raised a bunch of hands right before this in a row, and I could get the sense from the table that they were starting to question if I really had hands every time I was raising and betting them off flops. So I want to mix in a little bit of calling with premium hands and be able to get to showdown with them and show that sometimes I'm raising with them, sometimes I'm calling with them to really just throw them off so they can't really peg me on a hand every single time. The second reason that I decided not to three bet here is the player who made this bet. This player in the cutoff had not raised pre-flop at all in two hours of playing with him. Even with some pretty strong premium hands that I saw him show, he did not pre-flop raise one time in that entire span. So by him betting this much pre-flop, it is a sign to me that he has some kind of strong hand. The thought of just folding this and going away, it did pass through my mind, but that's really just even too nitty for me. So I make the call, the two limpers come along, and we go to a flop with $104 in the pot. The flop comes off, jack of clubs, 10 of clubs, six of spades. So actually not the worst flop for me, I have a gut shot, I have a backdoor flush draw, and I decide to check here to see what this villain in the cutoff is going to do. As expected, it checks around to the villain, who then C-bets for $200 without thinking about it. He just straight up, boom, $200. Maybe had another four or 500 behind, he had me covered. And like I said, I have a gut shot and a, a backdoor draw to the second nut flush, but that is certainly not enough to call a 2x pot size bet on a gut shot in a backdoor. So I end up folding, as do the other two players in the hand, and the villain, you know, nonchalantly just turns over the king of spades and the king of hearts and says something about not wanting to be outdrawn by the flush or the straights out there. And while... I kind of understand where he's coming from. 
this is actually a pretty weak play from him because the fact of the matter is he has this board just kind of smothered. The only hands that he's going to see any action from with this C-bet are hands that are like jack-10, pocket jacks, pocket 10s, and pocket 6s. Uh, so against all of this, those hands, he's already well behind. So by leading out for this much, he's really just setting himself up for disaster because he's either going to win a small pot or lose a massive pot. And the thing with players like this who are afraid of getting outdrawn, that means when you do flop a set, two pair, or a straight against them, they likely won't be able to fold that over pair, so you can target them and pound on them for max value. If, say, I had pocket 10s here and he leads out for $200, I would feign weakness for a second and then shove all in on him and fully expect him to not be able to fold and to call off and pay us off with our set if that would have happened. Unfortunately, in this situation, I only had two overs and couldn't continue. But the thing with plays like this is they're a very weak play that rec players think is a very strong play. And the reason it's a weak play is because you're only going to get called by hands that have you dominated. And when you do win the pot, it's going to be a much smaller pot than it could have been otherwise. If he would have made the, the bet $40, I likely would have called with my draws. $50, maybe a little bit on the I'm not sure side. Um, anything above $50, I'm folding. And the fact of the matter is he is really just setting himself up for disaster with this sort of line. So make sure that you don't follow these sort of lines. You have such a strong hand here. You want calls from the draws. You want calls from, you know, ace-jack, king-jack, Queen Jack, those are the type of hands you want calling because you can extract more value out of them. Yes, every once in a while, the flush is going to get there, the straight's going to get there, and they're going to lead out into you. But if you're strong enough to be able to either bet fold for value or value bet and then when the scare card comes and they fire out at you, be able to just let it go, even though that's a kind of exploitable play, these aren't the type of players that know how to exploit uh, a good player. They're not the type of players who can bluff when a flush comes off. So that part of the uh, unbalanced side, you don't have to worry about as much because they're not going to be able to take advantage of that. Now, if this were a good player, when that flush card comes off, you're never sure if they have that flush or if that's a bluff on their part. So that type of player, you have to play a little differently. But these weak wreck players that are afraid to get outdrawn all the time, that like to just jam all in on a you know $100 pot for $500 when they have an overpair, they're going to be your bread and butter because you're going to win big pots off of them when you actually connect, and you're going to lose a little bit on their preflop raise when you have something to call with that doesn't connect. This next hand was a hand that I actually wasn't involved in in any way. I folded pre-flop, and I didn't even actually pick up what was going on in the hand until a little bit later in the hand when uh, some things started happening that piqued my interest. Uh, there was about four or five players that limped to uh, a flop of 
king of clubs, queen of clubs, king of spades. And it checked all the way around. There was about $28 in this pot at this point. The turn ended up being the ace of diamonds. And then all of a sudden, this under-the-gun player, who was an obviously a new player who really didn't quite understand what he was doing, I wasn't even quite sure he spoke English as his primary language. He then leads out for $10. It folds around to the button, who was a textbook OMC who just sat there and sat there and played 2% of hands, maybe. Uh, he ended up min-clicking it back to him for $20. The under-the-gun player called. They went to a river with $68 in the pot, and that river was the 10 of clubs. Now, the under-the-gun player, again, bets out for $20 this time. He has maybe about $150 behind. The button then raises him again to $60. And when it's back on the under-the-gun player, he thinks about it for a second, doesn't seem quite sure what he wants to do, and just ends up calling. And the button turns over the king of diamonds, queen of spades, assuming that he's good here 100% of the time, thinking maybe this guy has an ace or, you know, some sort of other hand, maybe even as strong as a straight, that doesn't really matter because he has a top full house. To everyone at the table's shock and amazement, under the gun turns over ace of clubs, jack of clubs for a royal flush. But all he says is that he has a flush. He did not re-raise the river with the absolute nuts. And I really don't even think he realized that he had a royal flush. And talking to the OMC who lost his hand at, you know, the, the river, he was just like, I would have called off my entire stack here because there's no way I can put him on the only hand possible that beats me. And it's just a shocking display when you see someone just call with the nuts on the river and not re-raise. Do not ever, ever just call with the nuts. You have to always re-raise. Even if you think they're going to fold, it doesn't matter. The option is calling and getting zero more dollars in the pot or raising. And even if they fold, you get zero dollars, but at least you took a chance of them calling and getting more money in with the best hand. You can never, ever call with the nuts on the river. And as far as this player type, as soon as everybody realized that we weren't sure if he even realized he'd won the hand until the dealer pushed in the pot, and we weren't even sure that he realized that his flush was a royal flush and not just a regular flush, he wasn't, that might have even confused him on the ranking of hands. He might then start thinking, oh, a flush must be the full house, so... I must have had it wrong. And these are the type of players that you want to pay attention to and just go after because they're confused, they're new to the game, they don't understand what's going on, and you want to value bet them to death. You don't really want to try and bluff them off hands because they're so bad that they will call with second, third, fourth pair because they don't know any better. They don't know to fold. There was a gentleman like this at my table a couple sessions ago who... I made a turn bet with, you know, four to a flush and a gut shot and the river bricked out and I missed and it went check, check on the river. And I completely assumed that even though uh, I had, you know, 
two overs to the board that I was no good because I was convinced he had to have at least a pair because he called a pretty big turn bet by me uh, when I was trying to push him off the hand when I really was just on a draw. And it turned out he had nothing. He had king four off suit and my king queen played. So these type of players that seem confused at the table that don't quite get the flow, they're not really putting in their blinds or their bets properly. These players are just ATMs. You have to take advantage of them. It sounds cruel to take advantage of a player who doesn't know what he's doing, but I don't care. I'm here to get your money. I want every single person's every single dollar at the table, whether they are the best player in the world or the worst player in the world. We can be friendly and chat and have a good time at the table, but I'm still trying to take your money and I'm going to do everything that I can to do that. So when you see a player like this, you have to make sure that you target them with aggressive value because they don't really understand what's going on. For the last thing of this episode, I have a massive punt for you. This was probably one of the worst hands that I've played in recent times. And uh, I start off the hand for $480 effective. And I am in the cutoff with Ace of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds. Under the Gun Plus One raises to $15, which is a standard raise for this table. And it folds around to me in the cutoff and I make it $50 to go. If there had been one or two limpers in between, it probably would have gotten me to bet $65, $70, somewhere in that range, uh, depending on how many limpers, a little bit more if there were more than one limper. Uh, One limper probably would have been $65, $70. But I wanted to get a call, and I decided to make it $50 here. And when it gets back around to the the under-the-gun player, they just make the call. When they just call here, I'm expecting to be most likely ahead here. I can put them maybe on ace-king, maybe on some middling pocket pairs, but uh, when they just call, I'm not really concerned about being up against a premium holding here. The flop comes off two of spades, four of spades, eight of clubs. So while this doesn't really interact with our range very good, uh, it doesn't really interact with a early position, opening, calling range either. So when the villain checks to me, I decide to put out a C-bet of $60. The villain does end up calling, which isn't very surprising for me. A lot of sticky villains will call a flop, whether they have a piece, whether they have some sort of draw, even if they just have two overs. A lot of times I've been finding they will call pretty much any flop bet, but they will Uh, pack it in if they don't improve on the turn. So we go to a turn which looks like a great card for me. It's the Queen of Hearts. The villain checks again, and this time I decide that instead of bluffing, I'm going for value, and I size up just a bit to $85. Then the villain, to my surprise, just snap shoves and has me covered. I think about it for a minute, But I'm just thinking to myself, okay, he shouldn't have aces or kings here or queens here because he did not four-bet me pre-flop. 
So either he has the same hand as me, ace queen, and we're chopping, or he could possibly have something like king queen, uh, queen jack, queen ten, where he floated the flop, now he thinks he's good. And even though it was a snap shove, he could potentially have pocket aces, pocket fours, pocket twos. That's not lost on me, but ultimately I decide that for the 335 I have left behind, I think that top top was just a little too strong to fold there. Um, I guess just a little sticky. Uh, the river card was the three of clubs, and to my mild shock and great disappointment, we see the villain turn over the queen of spades, queen of clubs for the last two queens in the deck once the case queen had hit the turn. Uh, this is just such a huge punt for me because the fact of the matter is players at this level don't shove without very strong hands. So even though I had top pair, top kicker, it really isn't a strong enough hand for me to be calling off the rest of my stack with. I had plenty behind that I could fold and regroup, rebuild, but instead I decided to punt it off and really put myself in a hole for the session and really just put myself behind the eight ball where now I have to try and grind back that whole buy-in that I just punted off by being stubborn and not listening to the signal that the player was trying to tell me of, I have you beat, you should fold. Instead, just like the uh, siren song, I got steered right into the cliffs and my ship sank because I was too stubborn to realize I'm beat, I should fold. And this is one that's going to stick with me for a while that I'm going to keep in the memory banks to make sure that I don't forget this in future sessions. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Poker Punks podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, again, this episode that I titled One Ticket to Value Town really just illustrates the fact that Sometimes you have to tuck and run because when nitty players, when rec players start piling money into pots, you are not going to be good with your thin value. You're really going to need thick, thick value up to and including the nuts to be able to overcome their aggression because when a player who's very passive all of a sudden gets aggressive, that means that they either have the nuts or close to it and you need to really evaluate your hand strength against that range, not their overall range. So hopefully these four tails can keep you from making these same mistakes in your sessions that I made in a couple of the hands here. And you really have to learn how to be able to check your emotions at the door, check your ego at the door, and realize even though you have a better knowledge base to go on than a lot of these players, it doesn't mean that variants won't catch up with you and that some of them will have a better hand than you at some point. So always remember when a knit or when a rec player is piling money in, that's the time you have to reanalyze what you have and how strong your holding is. And most of the time it's going to involve just cutting and running and waiting for a better spot where they're going to pay off your strong hand instead of you paying off their strong hand. 
Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. If you like this podcast, please rate and review it on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're getting this from. It really helps out the show a lot. It'll really help get it out to more people like you who might be enjoying it. And as always, make sure to run it up the punks.